Well, beloved, as we continue in worship, would you please stand with me out of love and reverence for God's holy word and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you, you'll find a Bible, a blue Bible in the seat back in front of you. And Luke 14 is on page 873. If you remember at the, last week, Dr. Stone took us through the end of Luke chapter 13, and he was talking about Jesus's uh, exhortation to us to strive to enter through the narrow gate. And in many ways, the, our passage today is a continuation of that same thought as we look at how G, what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees as he dines with them. Uh, but now, out of love and reverence for God's infallible word, please pay attention to God speaking to us from Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he was to dine with the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took them and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you are be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited... Go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One of, the, one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things. He said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Redeemer Church, so ends the reading of God's word. And what do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands to the matter. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do confess that this is indeed your word. 
and yet our hearts are hard and so often our ears are stopped to receive it. Our minds are foolish. My lips are feeble. Would you please, by your Holy Spirit, would you be in and among this place? Would you dwell in our hearts, open our ears, loosen my my tongue to declare your excellencies that we might taste and see that Christ indeed is good. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Up until recently, an opportunity to visit the White House was considered a great honor. Now kids, I don't know if you've ever been to the White House. Uh, I remember being able to go to Washington, D.C. as, I think, a 12-year-old. I got to take a tour of the White House, and I remember standing with eager anticipation in that long line as we walked through the president's mansion and as we went through past every corner I would stretch my neck beyond the taller adults around me to see would I see somebody famous would would the president walk by would would I see the first lady and many of us might get an opportunity to tour the White House but very few of us would ever get an invitation a personal invitation from the president to visit with him, and it's usually considered a great honor. From lavish state dinners to championship sports teams, the opportunity to go to visit personally with the president has been considered a great honor, up until recently. If you've noticed in the news, there seems to be more and more instances of celebrities, Hollywood media types, professional athletes who have turned down publicly the opportunity to go see uh, the president. it's always no, newsworthy. And in, in our social media 24-hour news cycle, it seems like it's happening more and more, but the reality is it's been happening for several years, for many different presidents, for lots of different reasons. Uh, basketball legend Michael Jordan uh, at one point turned down uh, an invitation uh, simply because he felt like he had had a, a long season and he had scheduled three personal days by himself and he needed his private time. And another basketball great, Larry Bird, turned out, turned out an invitation for no particular reason whatsoever. But he later said, well, if the president wants to see me, he knows where to find me. <laughs> and friends, we've been given an invitation to something far greater than the White House. We've been, scripture declares repeatedly that we have been invited by the almighty God of the universe to enter into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We have been offered salvation and forgiveness and the joy and delight that come from that. And as we look at our passage today, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we really accepted that invitation or are we fooling ourselves and are we living with excuses that rob us of this precious honor that we have been given. Now, this passage that we have, uh, if you've been with us over our study of the book of Luke over the past year, you've seen that a lot of Jesus' ministry has taken place over the context of a meal. And this this passage is one such meal. Jesus has been invited to dine with the Pharisees. And um, as we progress through the meal, there's four different uh, separate conversations that Jesus has with the Pharisees, but they all seem to be leading up to this final section where what we see is that we have been invited into the great feast of our God. 
and how we live before both God and man determine, and not determines, but it, it reflects, it, it reveals whether we have truly accepted that invitation. So the, 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 the passage starts, um, and it says, on, on a Sabbath when he went to dine with the, the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And there, there was a man there who has what uh, Luke says is dropsy. Now, uh, you might know this as an edema, uh, where there is uh, excess fluid that's, that's causing someone to swell, either in his face or his hands or his arms or his legs. And Luke doesn't say exactly where, but Jesus knows he's being tested, and so he looks at the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and he says, well, can I, can I heal this guy or not? And they don't say anything. So he heals this man, and he sends him away, and he says, well, you know, if you had a son or an ox that had fallen in, to a, a pit on the Sabbath, you would have done something about it. But they don't say anything. The conversation shifts, and it says that uh, he told a parable to those who were invited. And this is a unique parable because, unlike other parables, he actually ropes in the audience into this particular parable. And he says, when, when, and he, he notices that when they, they're filing in, they're, they're, they're jockeying for the best spot at the dinner table. And he says, when you, when you attend a wedding feast, don't go for the highest place, because if you choose the highest place, well, the, the host might have somebody that he considers more important than you, and he'll kick you down to the, to the bottom, and you'll be shamed. Instead, what you ought to do is pick the lowest place, and maybe the host will think that you're more important, and he will elevate you. And he says that everybody who is exalted will be humbled, and he who is humbled will be exalted. And so he turns from the, the guests, and he t- then he turns to the host. And he says, well, and you, you know, when you, when you, have a f- when you set a, a, a feast together, or put one together, like this one, don't invite your friends or your neighbors or your, your, your rich neighbors or your, your relatives, like these people here. But instead, uh, you need to invite people that you don't know, that you can't, that can't get repaid from. If you invite the people that you know, these rich people, you might get something in return. But you need to invite people that aren't going to get anything. You're not going to get anything out of them. And we get to this point and you can imagine that the air is kind of thick with some kind of awkward tension. I mean, Jesus has now challenged and probably offended everyone at this meal. And it's at this point that some guy... One of, the, one of the guests, he shouts out, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And you wonder, well, is this guy just trying to change the subject because Jesus has just stepped on everyone's toes? Or is he just the guy that has to say something in order to say something? <laughs> or is he trying to look religious in the midst of this conversation that's all about hospitality? And it's not clear, but here's, what, here's a couple of things that we do know. He's probably referring to something that Jesus said back in Luke 13, verse 29, where Jesus said that, um, he said, people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Jesus had talked about some feast where people from all over were going to come and dine at that feast. And the guest is right that those who come to that feast will be blessed. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread. And he's right. 
But the implication is obvious. He thinks, and he's telling Jesus, essentially, guess what, we're all going. We're going to be at that feast. He's presuming that they are part of the in crowd. And in response to that, Jesus tells this parable, what's called the parable of the great banquet. And the, the story goes like this, that there's a man who has a great banquet, and he, in, he invites many people. And the implication is that they've all given a favorable response. But when the time for the feast is there, he sends out his servant, and to a man, they give excuses. And notice the first two excuses are financial in nature. Um, first guy says, hey, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. And the second guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. And these are reasonable requests, right? I mean, these are good things to do. I mean, can you imagine buying a house without going to an inspection? Would you imagine buying a 10 ox powered tractor without taking it for a test drive? No. And the question is, are these immediate needs that would cause him, cause these men to actually skip out on this banquet. But regardless, they give the excuse, and they both respond respectfully. They say, you know, I've, I've have, have this thing, please will you excuse me, or, or please have me be excused. And then there's the third guy, and all he simply says is, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, in, we, we laugh, in the Old Testament, there was a prescription for a man who had been recently married to get out of military service. Uh, and yet, that ha- there's nothing in Scripture, there's no, there's no plausible reason why he would be trying to get out of a banquet because he had been recently married. More likely, he, it's a plausible sounding excuse, one, an excuse that was somewhat related to something in the Old Testament that he's kind of throwing out as an excuse, and reality is he probably really didn't want to go. But notice he's not even really respectful about it. He just says, I've married a wife and I can't come. He's not saying, please have me excused. I'm just not going to be there. And so the host, having been dishonored, becomes angry. And he sends out his servant to first look on the streets and the highways and the alleys. And then there's still room. And then he says, go out to... What does he say? To... The, the highways and the hedges, where the roughest of people were, the outcasts, the vagabonds, those who weren't, didn't have a home, and compel them to come in. And he says this, he says, for my house may be filled. And I tell you, the reason is, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now remember, Jesus is saying this in response to the man's statement Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. We are on our way there. We're going to enjoy this. And Jesus seems to be saying, no, you're not. No, you're not, because you are living with excuses. And there is a reality that this invitation that's been given is one that we presume that we have a part of, and yet we are blind to the excuses that we are making. And when we look at this, we have to see that, you know, 
Jesus is, is, is working his way through this dinner and seeing these things leading up to this great exhortation. So what are those excuses? What are those things that are, that are keeping them from this great feast? Well, in order to see that, we have to go back to the beginning and trace through our dinner. So the first, first one that we see is that the Pharisees were using the law as a means of self-righteousness rather than a reflection of God's character. So if we go back to that first statement, first issue, Jesus is, there's this man with dropsy. There's this man who has this issue. And the Pharisees don't seem surprised that he's there. But he's a non-issue. He's not a, he's not a person in their in their sight. He's a test. He's a prop. And they're testing Jesus. Are you going to obey the Sabbath or not? And Jesus turns it on them and says, well, is it lawful to do this or not? And what's interesting, and I think Luke may be putting this in somewhat tongue-in-cheek, so Jesus asks, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And our English translations rightfully say, but they remain silent. Now, Luke could have used a lot of different words for that phrase, they remain silent, but the one he uses is fascinating. Uh, The one he uses could also be translated, uh, but they rested from their labors. And what I think Luke is getting at is the Pharisees are trying to make this about Sabbath observance. And Jesus says, well, is it lawful to heal? And they rested. They obeyed the Sabbath. So much so they weren't even going to respond to him. Because what was important to a Pharisee was rigid obedience to the law. They loved God's law. They loved God's word. And they wanted to obey it. They wanted to be faithful to that as a means of fulfilling their covenant with the Almighty God. And so they rested. But praise God, Jesus didn't rest. Jesus healed the man and He sent him away. And He turns to them and He says, well, but you would have done the same thing if this was your, your, friend, your son or even an ox. This man that was in their presence wasn't even as valuable to them as an animal. And friends, I don't have to tell you that we live in a polarized culture. It seems daily we're in some kind of battle, either personally or online or whatnot. But we, have, we live in a polarized culture because we have polarized hearts. And we're all, whether or not you are a lover of the Lord Jesus or not, you are living by some standard. You are trying to determine what is right and what is wrong. And that's a good thing. That is part of the way the Lord has made us. And for those of us who are religious, we look to God's law as the standard of right and wrong. And not all standards are equal. God's law is absolute, given to us by God Himself, and reflective of His character. And God's law, when we break God's law, that is what alienates us from Him. And yet we have these various standards, and it's not so much the problem with the standard as what we do with the standard. Because our natural inclination is to take a standard such as God's law and to make that standard a a standard of our self-righteousness. 
So that's what the Pharisees were doing here. They, they loved God's law, and they loved the Sabbath, and they said, okay, if you're, on this side of, if you're on our side of the line, then you are in, and you are righteous. And if you're on the other side of the line, well, then you are not righteous. And yet, look at how there's a lack of mercy in how this is going on. The man was not even a person in their eyes, much less created in the image of God. And I would argue, as I evaluate my own heart, and if you evaluate your own heart, as we work through this in our own lives, we will see the same thing. Every one of us has these boundary markers where we are determining righteousness or not righteousness. And we tend to dehumanize the people that are on the other side of that fence. Let me, let me just give you a few examples. These are things you've probably made, taken positions on, and evaluate how your heart reacts to people who are on the other side. The LGBT community. Public school versus homeschool. Infant baptism. Social justice. Sabbath observance. We could, we could list a whole bunch more because we create them day by day. But the problem is that the fact that we are dealing with people created in the image of God runs secondary to the, the principles that we've made primary. Okay? And Jesus came, friends, not to enforce the law, but to fulfill the law. And he came also to interpret for us what that law really means. Okay? So the Pharisees are questioning Jesus on his interpretation of the law. And remember what Jesus said. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so if our interpretation of the law neglects to love our neighbor as ourself, we have misinterpreted God's law. And so if there is no mercy for us and we make all of life about defining these principles and living within those principles as a means of being right, we have made an excuse not to accept the invitation to Christ's feast. Because the person who has accepted this invitation realizes that we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. That we will never be righteous in ourselves. Because Paul makes, makes his point. The point of the law was never to point out how righteous we were. The point of the law was to tell us how wrong we were. It was to drive us to Christ. It was to tell us, we can't do this. We need Christ and His righteousness to cleanse us, to cover us, and to make us righteous. And if we get that, if we accept that invitation to Christ and His righteousness, that results in love and mercy towards other fellow sinners, other people that need that grace. Only Christ's righteousness is sufficient for granting you access to this feast. And only His love can transform your heart in order to allow you to love and serve other people. So those who truly accept the invitation to the feast are marked by merciful love for their neighbor, poured out from the merciful love they have received from their Savior. Well, friends, self-righteousness leads 
to pride. And that's exactly what Jesus perceives in the hearts of the Pharisees. Uh, as he, as the, the dinner continues, he notices how they're coming in and they're jockeying for the best place at the table. And in uh, dinners of that particular time, there would be a pecking order. There would be the host, and then on his right and his left would be the honored guests. And you know, as they went away, they were less honored. And Jesus sees them coming in and jockeying for that position. And often, um, if you were an honored guest, you might show up late because you already had a reserved seat. And you know, it's kind of nice to have other people have to move for you to be able to sit in the, in the best spot. And so Jesus is, is seeing them come in and they're taking the best thing. And Jesus says, no, you, you, need to, you need to pick the lowest seat and be elevated rather than take the best seat and be um, brought down. And pride is a symptom of that self-righteousness that they had. But humility is a symptom and an outworking of Christ's righteousness, of having accepted that righteousness that, are, that is given to us from, from God. And the symptoms are subtle, right? So do you, do you seek the praise of men because of your experience, because of your accomplishments, because you deserve it? Are certain things below you, certain tasks, because you've got more important things to do? Um, is it just difficult to consider others as better than yourself because you know in your heart that they're not? But look at, look at Jesus in this particular passage. It's, it's fascinating. So if, if the most honored spots were closest to the host, if Jesus is perceiving them taking the most honored spots, where's he sitting? He's sitting at the outskirts. He's sitting in the, in the lowest of seats. And if the honored guests would come in late, when did Jesus arrive? He, he probably arrived early because he's seeing them, this all transpire. So the almighty God of the universe incarnate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is over all creation, humbled himself in this simple meal, dining with people that hated him. He probably even stayed afterwards to help clean up the fellowship meal. <laughs> and I think what Jesus is saying to them is, the Pharisees have exalted themselves in their eyes in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus is saying, no, God will humble you and give your place to someone else. Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, He will exalt you. If you have grasped that righteousness that has been given to you in Christ, if you have tasted the salvation and the forgiveness that comes in Christ, you recognize that you bring nothing to the table, you deserve nothing other than God's wrath. All that you have that is good is from God Himself. And all that you bring on your own is worthy of God's wrath. And so, true humility results from a recognition of who we really are in face of God's holiness 
and justice. And true humility before the Lord results in humility before one another. We don't try to promote ourselves or make ourselves seem great because we realize that we're not. We realize that we are in need of God's grace just as much as our neighbor who we're with. And so those who have truly accepted the invitation of our Savior are marked by a profound humility toward both God and man. But just as self-righteousness leads to pride, so pride also leads to self-centeredness. And Jesus sees this in the heart of the host. So Jesus says to the host, he says, well, when you have a banquet, don't invite your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors or else they'll return and repay you. And the host would probably say, hey, hey, chill out, Jesus. This is just what we do. Because this was a cultural expectation. This is how they formed their social circles. They would create these friend groups and they would invite one person over and ingratiate them to that that person and then the other person would would respond and they would establish their social circles in that regard. And Jesus, but Jesus is saying, but you shouldn't do that because you're doing that only for the sake of getting something in return. You're you're only pursuing this for your own benefit, for your own self-interest. And we do the same thing. We do it because we pursue those relationships that make us comfortable. Or those relationships that might uh, result in some kind of business relationship at some point. Or just because we like these people and we want them to like us. And for those of us who don't feel like we really need anything, we might not even bother pursuing relationships. Because what can we get out of it? I got my own things I need to do. And so let me ask you about this. How how are you about hospitality? True hospitality. Where you open up your heart, your life, your home, to people that need to understand about the love of Christ. Well, let's start with this. How, many, how often do you invite friends or neighbors who don't know Christ into your home so that you can share your life with them? Oh, okay. How, have you ever done that? Are you praying for them? Or when it comes to your neighbors... Do you even know their names? Why not? And friends, know that when I when I ask these questions, these are things that I struggle with. And I would argue probably most of us here struggle with that. But don't let that be an excuse to let yourself off the hook. Let this trouble you. Let this be uncomfortable to you. Let this be like a pebble in your shoe that you just can't get rid of. And because we're quick to jump to our own defense. Well, you don't understand. I am, our family is so busy. There is no way I could even entertain the idea of entertaining people at my house. And not only that, what would I say? What would we do? I'm not certain that I am really particularly called to this particular task. And we make... Lots of really good excuses, don't we? Lots of really good excuses. But are they legitimate excuses? 
Are they legitimate reasons? Or are they just the things that we tell ourselves which end up robbing us of the precious gift that the Lord has given to us by accepting His feast? Notice, notice what Jesus says here. Um, verse 12. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say if you're called to it. He's saying when. He, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're, we're talking about invitation into His kingdom. And the King is assuming that you will do it. As we said in our law passage, why do we say, Lord, Lord, and not do what He says? Why do we come up with these excuses? And here's why it's important, friends. Here's why this is critically important. It's not because it's about us doing one more thing. This is important because Jesus is exhorting us, you and me, to reflect the lavish love and generous selfless love that God Himself has lavished upon us. Because if we are humble and we are clinging to Christ's righteousness, then when we see this and Jesus is telling the host, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, we know that He's talking about us. You and me. We are the orphans that have been given a home. We are the homeless that have been brought into the King's kingdom. We have been lavished this gift above and beyond all things. And, and Jesus tells the host, pick these people because you, they'll never be able to repay you. And beloved, there is nothing that we could ever do to repay our gracious God for His love and mercy that He has lavished upon us. And there's nothing that He needs that He would ever demand that of us. This isn't repaying Him for anything. This is, this is living out the reality of the gift that we have been given in Jesus Christ. This is truly appropriating this reality in our hearts so that we want to be a part of that love for those who don't yet have it. If we have grasped the righteousness of Christ, that leads to this humility, which leads to a joyful energy to love others with that same love with which we've been loved. And on top of all that, friends, don't you see that what He's giving to us is the precious gift of being part of Him inviting others to this precious feast, this glorious feast, this feast that is described as savory, the richest of food, the finest of wine, pleasures forevermore, both now and throughout all eternity. He's giving us the, the ability to be a part of that, to enjoy that gift. What greater priority could we possibly have? What better use of our time and our energy and our money could we possibly have than to be part of the Lord's mission to love the unlovely, to extend His gospel of grace and to promote His kingdom and His praise forevermore. Friends, what, what, if, what if we allowed the gospel of grace, this gracious invitation that we have received in Jesus Christ, what if we allowed this invitation to saturate our hearts 
so much that we are filled with a joy that is unspeakable and flows out of every aspect of our life. What if we, every one of us, stop seeing people as problems to be solved or problems to avoid and seeing them as people created in the image of God, fellow sinners in need of God's grace? What if each one of us started praying for our neighbors, went out of our way to reprioritize our lives, to get to know them, stepped out in faith to share of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus so that the gospel dripped from our lips and we actually became salt and light in the midst of this culture. What if we started being willing to sacrifice the good things that we think we have to have out of humility, realizing there's no greater gift that we could have than to lay down our lives for our neighbors? And what if we could exercise the courage to actually extend to people this mercy out of love for them and love for our Savior? I think what we'd be honored to hear is come now for the feast is ready. Let's celebrate. Friends, let's pray together. Oh Lord, you have loved us more than we could possibly ask or imagine and we certainly do not deserve your love and yet you are lavish with us. And oh Holy Spirit, help us to grasp how High and deep and wide and long is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And help us to live that out. Forgive us for the many excuses that we make. Help us to live in Christ out of love for you and love for our neighbor. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.